This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Fans on the Run. I'm your host, Ethan Alexanian. Uh, today, we have another Canadian on the show, which is nice for once, because I, I love our neighbors to the south, but um, I prefer talking to Canadians. Uh, he's the author of The Beatles in Canada, The Origins of Beatlemania, the upcoming book, The Evolution, 1964 to 1970, which is the sequel to his first Beatles in Canada book, and one of the uh, co-founders slash webmasters of the Capital 6000 series website, which is an, it's an invaluable resource for any Canadian uh, record fan with an emphasis on the Beatles, Pierce Hemmingson. Pierce, thank you for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. So you are... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Canada's um, biggest Beatles nerd. I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it all happened, but I, I, I go back a long way. I, I lived in England in 1961 through 1963, and I got to see the Beatles on television when they were starting out. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Moved back to Canada, and the rest is I just followed along. Yeah. So you got to experience the Beatles before you know the rest of the people in North America did, because you saw them on what would have been uh, Thank Your Lucky Stars or Top of the Pops. It was Thank Your Lucky Stars. Yeah, absolutely. And so. Um, would you like to talk about uh, your upcoming book, The Evolution? I would. I would. I'll, I'll just give a little background. You mentioned the Capital 6000 website. I actually started that website, you know, with, with a bunch of text files and things like that in the 1990s. So I think it's, uh, it's come a long way. And I certainly had help from... Uh, Serge Peltier over there in Quebec in terms of bringing it up the curve. Uh, I've done four other books uh, that started, I guess the first one came out in 1999. It was the Beatles Canadian Discography. That ended up being four volumes. And then uh, that was really to talk about the records, uh, the tapes, whatever music the Beatles produced in Canada, whatever format. Uh, and then I got into the history. So the Red Book is all about how the Beatles got going uh, in Canada, early rock and roll, uh, how things happened here in 1963, starting with Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that uh, that came out in March of 2016. And uh, uh, I, I remember, I think it's written somewhere in that book that I'm going to take a break from it. Uh, but the break wasn't, it was Paul White that said that. Um, I took a little break and then I decided, okay, we, we're going to do a red book, we've got to do a blue book. And that's when I started The Evolution, which uh, picks up uh, pretty much after the end of the uh, first Canadian tour in 64 and then goes all the way up until the Beatles break up. And, uh, you know, the last 
chart entry of uh, the long and winding road is on a Canadian chart and pretty much that's the end of the book bar a couple of extra bits I've thrown in but uh, the idea was to document as, as uh, well as possible the history of how the Beatles started in this country and then really get into some of the detail about the special things they did with Canada right up and until the end so you know Canada has a great history with the group so uh, I'm just about finished uh, writing the the blue book it's it's a massive thing uh, we're gonna have to like the maple syrup we're gonna have to boil it down a bit and uh, uh, I'm very very pleased with it so far I can't wait for it to come out me too because I think the uh, impact that Canada had on Beatlemania and uh, the Beatles career is severely understated um, mm -hmm. because, well, She Loves You was already in the top 20 of the chum charts before I Want to Hold Your Hand was even released in the States. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, we got Beatlemania before everyone else did, except for, well, oh. we got Beatlemania first in North America. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we ended up with the largest uh, organized Beatles fan club, official Beatles fan club, um, and I think I think by 1964-65, uh, it was about 500 more members more than the British fan club. So how about that? When the Beatles came to do Ed Sullivan, there was no U.S. fan club, and they they flew down the two uh, girls from. Uh, the Ontario Beatles fan club to to meet the Beatles to hang out with them at the Park Plaza Hotel, and uh, the Beatles were always big on their fan clubs. I th think there was a, a real role that the fan club played in the popularity of the Beatles right across Canada. Is that true that they actually flew down uh, members of the Canadian fan club to sign up members? Uh, for the U.S. fan clubs. No, that part's not true. The, oh, okay. the uh, Canadian fan club, it was it was more or less a, a, a thank you. And, uh, you know, something I discovered when I was doing the research for the Blue Book is that because of the popularity of the Beatles in Canada right before uh, Christmas of 1963, there was talk of having a Beatles concert at Maple Leaf Gardens Circa February the 10th, 64, uh, of course, that ended up getting dropped because uh, there was a Carnegie Hall concert, there was a Washington concert, and I think it was Brian Epstein's plan to, to go big in the States. Canada was interesting, but it wasn't the market that the Beatles really wanted to conquer. That was the States. Yeah. So, now I'm going to ask you some questions about yourself, not just the Beatles, but about okay. you. Sure. When did yeah. you first discover the Beatles? Well, uh, I would pin it down to uh, the record, Please Please Me. And uh, uh, my family uh, and I were living in England. We were in the, uh, my father was a military man. And we lived uh, in a place called uh, Lark Hill, which was an army base, Lark Hill Camp near Salisbury in Wiltshire, England. And uh, 
if you're familiar with the Help movie, they even filmed some of the Help movie on Salisbury Plain, which is where we, uh, where my father was based, where we lived. And uh, my, I have two older brothers, and uh, very influential in terms of my musical uh, education. Uh, there was a lot of uh, American rock and roll on British uh, radio waves, pretty much through Radio Luxembourg. My brother had a transistor radio. He was always listening to Radio Luxembourg. Uh, Saturday mornings, uh, there was some BBC pop music, uh, but there wasn't a lot. Uh, when the Beatles came along, uh, all three of us went to the same school. And uh, my oldest brother, Randall, was, uh, was told by uh, his peer group that the Beatles were, uh, were happening and uh, to watch out for them. So we, we paid attention. He paid attention because he paid attention. I paid attention. And uh, we saw them perform Please Please Me. We heard the record. And uh, it wasn't long. I think it was Easter of 63 when, when Randall bought the stereo copy of the album. And my parents, in their great wisdom, bought a stereo record player. So it was really quite something to hear that album when it came out in stereo in our own home. And of course, we had the From Me To You 45. And then we ended up moving back to Canada in the summer of 63. Nobody had heard of the Beatles. And my brother, again, God bless him, took it upon himself to introduce the Beatles to our local radio station which was CHOV in Pembroke, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And there was a lovely man there named Roger Stanion. And Roger had a British background. And he uh, told my brother, look, bring your records by the station and I'll play them. And uh, he did. The records got played. This is around October of 63. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a pocket of sort of interest in the upper Ottawa Valley around the Beatles. And I think that was happening across Canada in Winnipeg, uh, in places like uh, uh, London, Ontario, in mm -hmm. Oshawa. I mean, I've documented it all in the book, but radio stations were very localized and uh, many picked up on the Beatles thanks to uh, the promotional efforts of Paul White at Capitol, who was really pushing uh, the Beatles, starting with Love Me Do, Please Please Me, From Me to You. And uh, yeah. She Loves You was the record that broke the Beatles, but there were places like Winnipeg and uh, Sault Ste. Marie and other places where From Me To You was, was a big record even before She Loves You. So there was a real buildup of interest in the Beatles throughout 1963 in Canada. And uh, the odd thing is rock and roll entered the Canadian space in the 50s through airwaves from the States. And here the Beatles were bringing back you know, American-style rock and roll to Canada, uh, and Canada had picked up on it before uh, the States. Capital in the States had a, had an A&R guy who was Paul White's equivalent named Dave Dexter, and Dave ah, was a yes. jazz guy who'd been with Capital for many years, and he wasn't a big fan of the harmonica. So when Love Me Do came around, uh, he passed on it. Uh, Nobody picked up on Love Me Do in the States, and it wasn't issued in the States until February of 64. Uh, when Please Please Me followed that, he passed on it, and it went over to VJ out of Chicago. And VJ uh, didn't do so well with it, but they picked up uh, From Me To You, issued that on VJ, 
uh, that didn't do so well. And then when She Loves You came along, there was a big push in the States uh, from EMI in the UK, uh, and even Capital passed on that one. Mm -hmm. uh, and that went to Swan out of Philadelphia. So uh, pretty much throughout 1963, Capital in the States didn't want to know about the Beatles. But up here in Canada, it was a completely different story. Paul White had followed uh, from Love Me Do, Please Please Me, From Me to You, right up through all of it, uh, lockstep with, uh, with what was being issued in, in the UK by EMI. Although we did lag a bit on, on Love Me Do, but uh, we, we certainly, uh, you know, if you were paying attention, you could buy these records in record shops across Canada. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think uh, we got the better end of the deal than the U.S. did, because now, in retrospect, uh, we have all the nice Beatles singles on the Swirl Capital label that they didn't, all the classics, pre yeah, I Want to Hold Your nice. Hand. It's, it, if you're a record collector, it's a lot easier <laughs> if oh, you're yeah. collecting Canadian Beatle records than trying to figure out which... Tolly pressing or VJ pressing or uh, Swan record you have it's it's uh, it's a different collecting experience. I've I've tried collecting the VJ Swan Tollies, but they just confuse me. Um, although collecting uh, the original Canadian forty fives isn't a whole lot easier, because then you have like the odd mm -hmm. ducks like. Uh, Silipdik, which is like a couple hundred bucks. And uh, mm -hmm. what's the other one? I think it's Do You Want to Know a Secret is quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're expensive because they're hard to find in really nice condition. Yeah. Uh, kids played the crap out of these things um, back in the day. So it was a, it's a different exercise to try and find these records in decent playable condition. And uh, that's where I think the marketplace puts a premium on condition and, uh, uh, you know, some of these records as well, like the two you mentioned, weren't manufactured in large quantities because A, they were already on an album, and B, who wants to hear uh, She Loves You in German after you've got it in English? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a limited market. I'm sure it would have been popular here in Kitchener because of all the Oktoberfest stuff, but it seems like a limited appeal. Yeah, but it was, it was like uh, six months after it was on the charts. You, you're not, you're, you're back then, if you were a kid like I was listening to the radio, every week there was new stuff. So mm -hmm. you, you weren't really interested in going, winding the clock backwards six months. And listening. Maybe in Kitchener, I don't know. And then listening to the same song, but in a language that you probably don't understand. Mm-hmm. It is kind of an interesting record, and given that the Beatles started off in Hamburg and that their first fans were German, uh, it is kind of a, a loop that needed to be closed, I guess. I guess. But for the rest of us internationally, it, it's more of a novelty than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Michel was it was a very popular record in Canada, especially in Quebec, because of the, you know it was it was sung partially in French, and it was a great record 
for a French uh, group to cover. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you touched on that, there are some uh, groups out of Quebec that did some very fantastic uh, covers of Beatles songs in the '60s. One that particularly I love those. One that particularly sticks out to me is a uh, group Lay Sinners uh, did a wonderful yes. cover of Penny Lane. Yes. Yep. I know that one. Yeah. And for all you Canadian history buffs, it's the same group that uh, did the song Go Go Trudeau uh, for the 68 election. That is uh, a fact. That is a fact. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you this extra information you're asking about my background. We moved from that uh, Camp Petawawa in the Pembroke area to Western Quebec uh, in, I think it was the summer of 65, just as help was coming out. And uh, I had, by that time I had a radio of my own and uh, quite often uh, I would listen to uh, radio stations from Hull um, uh, uh, CKCH, I believe it was, uh, and they would play a number of different uh, pop records, you know, which were covers of anything you could think of that was from the British invasion. And uh, I quite got to like a lot of those uh, groups. I didn't know who they were, of course, but uh, the one that covered uh, Michelle was Lisa Tome. And uh, I thought that was the Beatles. You know, I thought that was the Beatles. And uh, it was very well produced. And uh, it was entirely in French. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, something, if, if people haven't heard it, I recommend it. The only thing I will say about the uh, Lay Sinners cover of Penny Lane is that uh, the video catches you off guard at first because the first shot is a guy smoking a, a cigarette with his feet. So do with that what you will. Yeah, that's uh, not uh, not so Beatlish. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was 67, so even mm-hmm. in Canada they were probably all high. Uh, well, we we could probably not talk about that, but... It's up to you. All right. What was the your first... Uh, well, you said your first Beatles album was Please Please Me. But once you got to Canada... Well, that, was my br- that was my brother's. That okay. was my brother's record. And uh, I didn't get my first record of my own uh, album until something new. So that was the summer of 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, before that, of course... Um, we didn't need to buy Twist and Shout because it was already on, everything on there was already on Please Please Me. And we had uh, the first Canadian album, which was Beatlemania with the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that was just a huge selling album uh, just before Christmas of 1963. So when I was doing the Red Book, I got some great stories about how people ended up with that album under their Christmas tree in 1963 and what an influential record it was yeah. and and for the blue book I've I've had so many great interviews I've interviewed uh, uh, people like Randy Bachman and uh, oh gosh uh, Anne Murray or David Clayton Thomas all these people who were hugely 
uh, Bruce Coburn, influenced by the Beatles. And I, I wanted to get and include their stories. And it's amazing how many people uh, talk about those early Canadian albums, especially Beatlemania and Twist and Shout. And, you know, Burton Cummings is another one. They, they will tell you exactly, they can remember where they were when they first heard those records and just how musically influential they were on, on their own careers. Mm -hmm. uh, the only subpar one of the original Canadian albums, in my opinion, is Long Tall Sally, which it seems a little unnecessary. There's not a lot of new material on there. If you had the other two albums and, and you bought some of the singles, there was, you know, Misery. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, maybe you wanted to have them on an album. But uh, there, there was a, a great story I have in the Red Book about uh, uh, kids who would walk into a record store and see that album, Long Tall Sally. And at the time, uh, record stores were importing uh, the, the album from the States, the second album that was already released before Long Tall Sally. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I think we called that fooling nine-year-old kids. You know, you, were, you, were, you didn't know what you were getting. And you got it home and you said, hey, I've got all this material. What's going on? You know, and why, why is there something called Meet the Beatles and something called Beatlemania with the Beatles? Like, it was, it was confusing as heck for, for uh, young Beatles fans. And there were a lot of young Beatles fans like myself. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know... I, I do really like those early Canadian albums. Um, and well, it's, there's more tracks. Yeah, yeah. there's more tracks than, than their U.S. counterparts. And uh, I think I was on, on something a few weeks ago where they talked about the limitations of American records having only five or six songs on each side, and it had to do with the work involved in uh, copyright and royalty collection. And that Canada didn't seem to have that same problem. And I don't know why that was the case, but that was explained to me as the reason why American albums had fewer tracks on each side. Really? I mm -hmm. thought that was more of a, like a money-grabbing technique from capital in the States. Well, uh, I think it's a combination of, of what you're saying. You know, you, you can make more money and it's less work, I guess, per album. Yeah. You know, for every one British Beatles album, there's like three American ones. Mm-hmm. Which I don't have a problem with because, you know, those, those American albums are great. You know, you get great pictures and, uh, I don't know, you'd, you'd have to wait a long time living in England between albums. Whereas in the States, they just cranked them out. Oh, yeah. So, you said you moved to uh, Quebec in 65? Mm -hmm. Summer of 65, yeah. How popular were the Beatles in Quebec, uh, being an English group? Well, um, Montreal, uh, you know, again, I go back to the, uh, the Red Book, uh, I couldn't write from the perspective of a francophone living in Quebec, so, uh, but I knew somebody that could, and that was Gilles Valiquette. And Gilles is a, is a huge Beatles fan. 
He's also a wonderful musician. And he wrote the section about, uh, uh, you know, the Beatles in Quebec uh, and the whole sort of uh, two solitudes thing in Montreal that was happening at the time where you had one part of Montreal was solidly English and uh, a much larger part of Montreal that was uh, solidly Francophone. But the, the, the incredible thing is that the Beatles transcended all of this uh, linguistic uh, differentiation and, and the different cultures. Their music spoke to everybody. So um, something I'm really pleased about again is, is to have uh, Gilles uh, contributing to the Blue Book as well about uh, how things developed uh, in Quebec uh, with uh, the Beatles through Sgt. Pepper and, and the White Album and things like that, because it, it is definitely a different cultural experience. But I would say that uh, if, you, if you looked around today, the, the number of Beatles fans in Quebec is, is by far uh, the largest uh, in Canada. There's a lot of Beatles fans in Quebec. So, um, really? Uh, Gilles wrote his own book, of course. Yeah. There's a lot of Beatles fans in Quebec, and they're very, very, uh, you know, they're hardcore. That's what I, I would say. More and, than uh, Ontario. Yeah, it's, uh, I'd say there's a lot of Beatles fans in Quebec, and they have a very well-organized fan club still going today. And, uh, yeah, I would say that. I'm, here I am living in Toronto and telling you this. Um, yeah, I've been to Montreal. I've been to Quebec City. Uh, I lived in Hull, it's now called Gatineau. Um, yeah, the Beatles were hugely influential in Quebec. So, what do the Beatles mean to you personally? What do they mean to me personally? Well, um, I go back to my, uh, you know, I, I sort of, my, my story about the Let It Be movie, when it came to Ottawa in 1970, I walked out of it. It was so depressing and so sad to see, you know, the group that I loved to kind of follow it all the way through up and until, you know, Abbey Road, all of a sudden they're this, this squabbling group of people up on a big screen. Um, that, uh, I kind of went away from the Beatles and... Uh, it wasn't until uh, maybe 1974, 75, I went down to New York City and I was still interested in records. And I went to some record stores in Greenwich Village. And uh, one of them was on, I think it was called Bleaker Bob's or House of oh. Oldies or one of those. And uh, one of those they, is still uh, open, I think. Probably. Uh, it's been a while since I've been down there, but I remember. Uh, I took the train from Ottawa to Montreal and then overnight from Montreal to uh, New York City and I brought a huge uh, cardboard box of what I thought were rare Canadian records and I thought well I can go down and trade these for you know lovely beautiful butcher cover or something that would be a nice addition for my own collection and I you know I, I, it was really hot I guess it was in the summertime and I remember bringing these into the store and, and, you know, seeing if I could trade them. And they seemed interested. But when he looked at them, you know, th this is the one particular, I think his name was Bleaker Bob. Yeah. Uh, he said that, you know, Canadian, Canadian records aren't worth anything and nobody wants them. And I, well, that stuck with me. And I thought, 
why why would that be that you know they got you know i had copies of very together i had a let it be box set i thought these things would would sell well to a, a collectible store in new york city um but that wasn't the case so i ended up lugging them all back to uh to uh canada and uh that experience was something that you know i was interested in records from all over the world so i couldn't understand why people would have something against Canadian records. And, and the more I got into the history of Canadian records, I understood that they were high quality. They were manufactured to a very high standard. You know, the Beatle albums could take a beating on anybody's turntable and you could play them again and again and again and they would still sound pretty good. Mm -hmm. So it, it kind of stuck with me. And then when I had the time in kind of the 1990s as a bit of a hobby, um, I thought, well, somebody's got to write the history of how all these Canadian Beatle records uh, were different from the rest of the Beatle records around the world. And uh, other people were doing that in the UK. Uh, Mark Lewison was doing uh, his great recording sessions book. Mm -hmm. um, Bruce Spicer was starting to work on his VJ book. So I was able to contact these people and I did my own kind of thing and contacted people up here in Canada. And uh, I ended up writing these, uh, basically, the Beatles Canadian discography books. I think between them, there's 600 pages. Um, part one dealt with the 45s. Part two dealt with the albums and tapes. Part three dealt with the Apple solo things while the Beatles were still going. And then I did a, a, a complete uh, uh, drill into uh, you know the matrix uh, information for these records to find out you know when and where they were manufactured and uh, so that was just getting the information out there and of course the internet was coming along that helped uh, so really it was that experience in New York City I think uh, back in I, I'm gonna say 74 75 and I went back there again and again and again I even worked there for a while um, it was it was just something I had to do, and I, you know, you get this, you get this call from somewhere up above, and you say, okay, I'm going to have to do this, regardless of what it's going to do to me personally. It has to be done, and uh, the upside of it, um, Ethan, is that I'm just uh, uh, just about finished uh, this long and winding road, and uh, I'm, I think it'll be as good as anybody can do it. I've had access to some great people, uh, Paul White, of course, uh, who helped not only with the Red Book, but he all the way through the Blue Book research, he was able to provide everything up and to let it be. So I think it'll be as good as, as uh, any uh, Canadian researcher could have done it at the time, and that, that's my goal. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't doubt you for a second that you'd be able to pull it off. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, virus or no virus, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, what is your, do you have any uh, favorite memories of being a Beatles fan or favorite memories involving the Beatles? Oh, sure. I mean, I think uh, the excitement of getting a new Beatle record for your birthday or for Christmas, um, the the ones that really stick out for me would be you know getting rubber soul uh getting revolver i remember getting getting revolver twice i got two copies what can you do with two copies of a record 
uh, I got I got Revolver for uh, Christmas, and uh, I also got it from a cousin of mine. So uh, Revolver sticks out. I didn't always get them, you know, when you know the day they were released. I had to, you know, I had a paper round. Sometimes I had to save up the money. Uh, so I think my favorite memories are just uh, working hard sometimes to to be able to afford. Uh, a beat along player, um, buying the singles like I remember buying Day Tripper and uh, 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 We Can Work It Out and uh, Paperback Writer, all these great singles, uh, one after another after another, and and there was there was a lot of great other records, you know, there were groups like the Kinks or the Yardbirds or whatever you liked. There was always new good stuff, so. The Beatles had this knack of leading the pack in terms of every time they came out with a record, in my opinion, they would leapfrog everybody else. And they, they, they went to a whole new space, and then everybody else would follow into that space. And I think uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper was, was an album. I couldn't afford to buy it when it was released, but I, you know, I had a cousin that had it. and. Uh, I remember buying that with him. He bought it. I was with him at uh, when we were at Expo 67 in Montreal. And that was, a, that was a whole different experience because of the packaging, um, the, the whole idea that, you know, there was some drug connection with it. There was all this interesting thing uh, in looking at the cover. Um, I don't know. Magical Mystery Tour is a highlight for me because I got that for uh, Christmas. My brother bought it for me for Christmas. And... Uh, he, he got uh, the Rolling Stones' Satanic Majesty's Request. So side by side, I could compare those two records. Um, they were both great albums. Mm -hmm. uh, I still like the Beatles better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So my happiest memories, I think, are just, just this sort of voyage I was on of, of discovery, of finding, finding music that, that I liked, because I think largely I listened to the music on my own. I was the youngest of three... Uh, three boys I had more time it seems to me on my own and I just listened to a lot of music on records and um, going back to your comment about being a Beatles nerd I guess I was just interested I never loved the Beatles as individuals that not not in the way that you know girls did in 1964 I love their records and I still do and I think they put out some unbelievably uh, great masterpieces of artwork and vinyl combined. They're just incredible things to enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, you touched or you mentioned him earlier and I think um, I just wanted to give a quick mention of uh, Paul White uh, uh, from yeah. Capital Canada who had the hindsight mm. um, to actually like keep his ear to the ground in England and actually sign like all of these great British bands that uh, Capital in the U.S. and Dave Dexter Jr. Alan Livingston uh, could didn't bother to sign, and so that's mm -hmm. why in Canada you had uh, you know the Hollies, the Dave Clark Five, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Um, the Yardbirds, you ha they were all on Capitol because of him. Mm-hmm. Well, add in, add in Manfred Mann. Manfred add Mann. Add in Sounds Incorporated. 
add in a whole pile of other, these were all EMI groups. And of course, uh, what I, I think what, what's important to me is that Canada had a, a different uh, demographic than the United States, two different countries, of course. And uh, what, what was uh, popular up here wasn't always popular uh, down in the States. I was at the Beatle Fest some years ago and, and giving a talk about the Beatles in Canada. And I was talking about how Billy J. Kramer had charted with Do You Want to Know a Secret on some Canadian radio stations in the summer of 63. And a gentleman at the back of the room stuck up his hand and, he, and I said, yeah, would you like to ask a question? He said, well, I'm Billy J. Kramer. <laughs> and I wanted to tell you that uh, EMI uh, was always great, and no matter what region it was, whether it was Canada or the States, um, he remembered that Canada always uh, sent him the royalties, so he was very, <laughs> very grateful. He was popular in Canada through 64 and 65, and he was largely popular because he had, he had some great hits, you know, Bad to Me, uh, I'll Keep You Satisfied, Do You Want to Know a Secret, a lot of Lennon McCartney songs that he covered and he covered them really well but it was kind of cool that he remembered how important Canada was and I think that that goes back to Paul White who who promoted these artists and uh, you know when Jerry and the Pacemakers they were the first NEMS act to tour Canada in May of 64 so they were like the advance party before the Beatles did their North American tour uh, they played at the Eaton's uh, Auditorium uh, in Toronto in May of 64. They played in Montreal uh, in one of the suburbs uh, the next night, I believe. Um, they, they also did concerts in Winnipeg. So these, these artists, uh, uh, Billy J. Kramer played in Ottawa. So they, they toured Canada and you know they would have Tony Barrow with them as their public uh, uh, PR person. Uh, so there was a, a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening with uh, all of those EMI artists that ended up on the Capitol 6000 label. And, and God bless Paul, he's not with us any longer, but um, one thing I enjoyed uh, about working with him, and I, I got to work with him over the last 25 years or so, um, he, he was phenomenal with his memory. So, you know, if, if I mentioned a record, he could pop out the, 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 the first order. So like the Let It Be box said, oh yeah, we ordered 5,000 of those and then we ordered another 5,000, another. He, he knew exactly when and how many. So that was fantastic to, to get his help on the Blue Book and uh, he will certainly uh, be uh, prominent in, in, he is prominent in the Blue Book as well. His his influence on uh, the Canadian impact of the British invasion cannot be uh, overstated. No, no, absolutely. Um, you just reminded me something when you were talking about uh, British groups touring. My favorite uh, weird little tidbit or piece of trivia that I found on uh, your website, the Capital 6000 series. Mm -hmm. I was reading up on the Yardbirds mm -hmm. in Canada. And... Um, oh, yes. How on their 67 tour, they played uh, just Vancouver, and then for some reason, Huntsville. 
uh, which baffles yeah, that's, me. That's a great one. It's like, why? Yeah. what the hell are the, well, are the Yardbirds doing in Huntsville? Well, there's a good story there. Um, the Yardbirds had done really well on Capital of Canada. I remember uh, mm -hmm. we got uh, over under sideways down. Love we that. were members of the Capital Record Club, so we got that album, I think it was 66 or six, early 67. But uh, Little Games was their, their sort of... Uh, album of 67 that's when they added jimmy page yeah and uh when i when i started looking at doing that work about the yardbirds um they literally uh had played a concert in new york city probably within the 24 hours before they were in huntsville uh their airplane took them up to huntsville and their manager uh, who I, I believe also went on to manage Led Zeppelin, Peter Grant, mm -hmm. had some sort of buddy in the Muskokas with a cottage and thought, well, let's just bring the yards up there and then I can, I can go and visit my friend. I, it was either Lake Rosso or Lake Joseph or something like that. So they played at, they didn't play in Huntsville, they played at the Hidden Valley Ski Club and they had this... Uh, we're getting off Beatle topic here, of course, but well, they had like a, a discotheque on, on three levels. And uh, the opening act was the Staccatos, and the Staccatos were another capital of Canada mm -hmm. uh, discovery managed by Ottawa, uh, Sandy right? Gardner. They're from Ottawa. And uh, Paul White and Sandy Gardner were, were uh, you know, were always in touch. And Sandy managed, originally managed the Esquires, then he managed the Staccatos. And... Uh, the Staccatos, I think, were one of those great bands, but they opened for the Yardbirds. The Yardbirds didn't arrive until midnight. Perhaps they were swimming or something at, at this other cottage. I don't know. But um, people, I, I didn't go to that show, but people I did interview who were there, um, you know, it was the Jimmy Page uh, lineup, and uh, that was an opportunity for kids up in cottage country to see, you know, a really early version of Led Zeppelin. Uh, and as you said, the only other concerts they did were out in Vancouver. They did one one cool event where they signed records at a record store on the outskirts of Vancouver. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they were hugely influential uh, as a group, the Yardbirds. Uh, again, uh, Capital 6000 had all of their stuff uh, and great stuff stuff it's mm -hmm. uh while we're on the subject of you know fascinating weird pieces of trivia what is your personal favorite weird piece of knowledge about uh you know the canadian uh version of the british invasion uh you know the canadian releases or anything that might have happened in mm -hmm. canada involving these groups yeah, so the most inconsequential thing, and but the most interesting thing to me was that I used to take this bus every Saturday to go to take me downtown in Ottawa to, to go to these record stores like Alex Sherman and the Treble Clef. And I would, I would browse through records. I had no, no uh, money to buy, but I, I had this passion for, for records. So just going into the store and spending an hour looking at what was available was was very fulfilling even though i could only afford maybe a single and not always an album mm -hmm. um, but 
this bus, this Elmer bus that took me from Elmer into Ottawa would wind its way through Hull, Quebec. And this E.B. Eddy company had this massive stack of logs uh, waiting to be turned into pulp and paper. And it was only all these years later when I was doing the research for the Blue Book and I got into the archives of uh, paperwork that Paul White had kindly uh, uh, offered to me to, uh, to do research from that I discovered that the record uh, jacket manufacturers were using uh, cardboard and paper, the paper for the slicks, cars, uh, print and litho, mm -hmm. the cardboard for the jackets, modern album, uh, all came from E.B. Eddy. And, and those logs, those uh, uh, stack of timber that I would go by and the stench of that, that place, the pulp was such a, a pungent smell. I had no idea that, that those Beatles albums, the jackets and the slicks and all those things that I really thought were interesting came from trees that were, uh, <laughs> that were cut down and turned into pulp and paper. So, like I was saying, the most inconsequential uh, things kind of made me the happiest when I was doing the research into this uh, blue book. Uh, I had no idea that everything has to start from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And whether it's Beatles music or, or jazz or blues or folk, anything, world music, it all has to come from somewhere. And I laugh about this Beatles in Canada story, how really some of it comes from trees. <laughs> and it's kind of funny to me. I probably have some of those... Uh I probably have records made from some of those same trees and uh, yeah. stacks of lumber that you saw. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's kind of funny, you know. It's kind of funny, and all these years later, I'm I'm uh, looking back and thinking, gosh, uh, it's it's a it's a different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. All right, now it's time for my personal favorite segment of the show. I'm going to hit you with some quick-fire questions. Sure. What is your favorite Beatles song? Well, that's an easy one. It's, it's usually Norwegian Wood because my family background through my uh, grandparents has a link to Norway. So Norwegian Wood is not only that, but it's also a great song and it has a lot of atmosphere. And I'd say that Rubber Soul is, is just an amazing record. I can't really ever hear. Um, I like the Canadian Rubber Soul because Hold on, you keep cutting in and out. Very much uh, uh, an album that has no singles, although of course Michelle was covered by other people, but it's an album that stands on its own. And we don't get that again until Sgt. Pepper. So to me, Rubber Soul in Canada is like an earlier Sgt. Pepper because there's no singles. All the songs are great. And um, <clears throat> Norwegian Wood is on it. And I, yeah, that's the song I like. All right. Of all songs. What Happens is your... John song. Okay. What is your least favorite Beatles song? I think I just said it. Uh, what goes on? I think that is a, 
I don't know what happened with that, what they were thinking, but uh, that song really, to me, it's like some of the songs that are left off and you hear them on anthology, uh, you know, 12 Bar Blues or whatever. These things were, were probably, um, you know, I, I know you always read about uh, John or Paul saying that that song wasn't a good song, but what goes on to me, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's okay, but it's not a great Beatles song. Yeah. What is your favorite, and I think you've probably said it, your favorite Beatles album? Well, I said Rubber Soul, but even before that, and I think the record that really changed things for me was Help. And Help in Canada was a, more of a soundtrack album. And uh, again, this is covered in the blue book that I'm working on. But it's a great album because of the, the Ken Thorne music. Uh, here, uh, Richard Lester, who, who uh, directed uh, Hard Day's Night and he directed Help. He had worked with George Martin on, on the music. On, uh, George had provided theme music for A Hard Day's Night, the film, but uh, they didn't really get along so well. And uh, uh, really, uh, I think Richard Lester preferred to work with uh, Ken Thorne. And if you listen to uh, a lot of Ken Thorne's music, you know, he did the music for A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which was another Dick Lester movie. He did the music for How I Won the War with John Lennon. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, acting in that. Um, Ken Thorne provided really interesting music for help. So it included sitar, it included classical music, it included flute, uh, um, Indian instruments. And I think if you, if you were in my shoes listening to an album in 1965, uh, to have that kind of music all on one package with great Beatles songs like You've Got to Hide Your Love Away or Another Girl or The Night Before, that to me was the album that really got me into Beatle albums. You know, something new was was interesting. There's some good stuff on it, but it wasn't a cohesive piece of work like Help was. Help, <laughs> I think, was the record that I would, you know, if I had to just have one influential record, that would be it. What is your least favorite Beatles album? Least favorite? Um... I don't know. Uh, I don't. They're they're all great. I mean, I, I'm I'm somebody who loves Yellow Submarine, I, and I love the George Martin music on the B side. Um, Something new is probably a record I don't play too much. I bought Beatles Six when it came out, and I like that. Um, I I probably say Something New. I mean, I I won't even mention the Beatles story because I don't think that's a Beatles album. Um, per Not se. Really. It's more of a documentary type of thing. Um, but I'd say, uh, of all of them, I'd say something new was, was some kind of business deal with United Artists where they could get some songs and put out a capital album. And um, You don't hear people raving about something new. Mm -hmm. Fair point. Alright, yeah. so it comes to that tragic part of the show where we have to wrap things up it's okay it is so sad okay Piers where can well, people find you well I live in Toronto um, you can find me here um, although these days it's uh, we got to keep our distance 
But um, I'm on the internet. Um, people can follow me on Twitter uh, at Beatles in Canada. Um, the the uh, website for the book really isn't going to be updated until I've got the book ready to go. Um, the Beatles in Canada Red Book you can find out there on Amazon, and you can find it on eBay. There's copies still around. Uh, this was the uh, 2016 Red Book uh, soft cover that was signed and numbered. Comes with an audio disc. The blue disc will also come with uh, an audio disc. If anybody was at the Fast for Beatles fans uh, last year, the year before, I had some advanced copies of the uh, audio companion disc for the blue book that that uh, that I I was very happy. It's got a nice booklet with it. Um, so that blue book, when it comes out, it will have that. There, like we did with uh, Paul White, uh, God bless him, Paul kindly signed the first 200 copies of the Red Book. Uh, those aren't available anymore, but we're going to do something, a bit of a surprise for the blue book. Um, I won't announce that yet, but that's, that's something that will be announced soon. Um, the limited edition, first 200, will be uh, signed by some special people. And, uh, um, you know, you can find me pretty much on Twitter. I don't do much on Facebook. I don't use Instagram. Um, the, uh, another place where you can buy the books, or you, you've been able to buy the books before, and probably the first stop for the Blue Book will be the Fast for Beatles fans in, in New York. And uh, they've been a great uh, supporter of the book projects uh, over the years. So... Thank you, Ethan, for a great uh, interview. And uh, we, we talked a bit about the Yardbirds. I don't know how we got there, but uh, I guess through the capital of Canada thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you for your interest uh, in, uh, in the Beatles in Canada. It's been a real privilege to be able to write these books. And it's been a lot of fun interviewing people and doing the research. And thankfully, I've done it all before this, uh, this current situation where you know libraries are closed and you know i just like to put a shout out to libraries because i've visited libraries all over the world and uh without libraries without archives none of this would be possible mm -hmm. peers thank you so much for coming on the show to everyone at home yeah well thank you uh thanks for listening and uh i guess that's it ta-ta for now Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.